0: Bible, please open it to John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 51 through 59. John chapter 6. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. I am the true bread of God. This I am the bread of life statement is one of many I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And Each of these statements point to him as the great I am. The great I am that you can know personally. The great I am that you can know relationally. Two weeks ago, we, we saw that Jesus is the true bread of God. The bread of God who comes down from heaven. And this morning we're going to see another side of this bread of life. For Jesus is not only the bread that comes down from heaven. He is also the bread of God who gives life to the world. He is the bread of God who gives life to the world. Here's God's word. John chapter 6 beginning in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood blood, abides in me and I in, in, in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said "These he stands in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, Father, I pray that your spirit, Lord, would move, that he would fill this place, Lord, with his power and his presence. No one comes to repentance apart from the work of the spirit, Lord. No one is convicted of their sin apart from the spirit. No one is changed apart from the spirit, Lord. We can do nothing, Lord, if the spirit doesn't move. And so we need him to take these words, Lord, that he will work along with the scriptures, Father, in our hearts. Meet us where we are. You You know, Father, you know us. You know what we're dealing with personally, what our families are dealing with. You know what we're hiding. You know what we're pretending. So, Father, we want to surrender. And we can't even do that if your spirit doesn't move us to do it. So, Father, Holy Spirit and Son, I pray that you will move today in this place. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In verse 33 here in John chapter 6, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the bread, that Je- the bread that he gives for the life of the world is his flesh. Jesus' flesh is the bread that he gives for the life of the world. With these words, Jesus goes deeper into what it means for him to be the bread of life. It means he has to give something away in order to give life to the world. There's a condition. There is a price. There is a cost. And what he gives away is not something material. It's not kind words. It's not money. But his own flesh. This verb to give is in the future tense in the Greek, and that means that the future tense means something will actually happen. This will happen. That's what John is communicating. Jesus will give his flesh. It's going to happen, there's nothing that can be done to stop it. The crowd in our text couldn't stop it. Even if they didn't believe it, it was not going to stop it. Jesus will give His flesh for the life of the world, regardless of what people think. And please understand, He He does not give out of guilt. He does not give out of shame. He doesn't give out of blackmail. He doesn't give out of peer pressure. He doesn't give out of fear. He doesn't give because he's been forced to give. But he gives his flesh freely and voluntarily out of love. Out of love. The bread he gives is his flesh. And the flesh he gives is his very life. His very life. The cost, the price, The condition for the world to have life is the life of Christ. He gives it to the point of death. And this is what Jesus is saying. For the life of the world, I would give my life. For your life, I would give my life. World here is a reference to all people groups, not around the globe, not just the Jewish people that he's speaking to not just the Jews in our context, but he gives his flesh to for all the people groups around the world. There's a global reach to him giving his flesh. No one race, culture, or nation has an exclusive hold on the bread of life. It will have an impact globally. But why must it cost Jesus his life? Was there any, well, why? Why must he give his flesh for the life of the world? Here's why. Because the lives of all the people in the world hang in balance. What do you you think Jesus means when he says for the life of the world? It means the life of the world is in jeopardy. The life of the world is in danger. Lives need to be ransomed from something. You see, every single person in the world, regardless of where they live, regardless of what they have, is lost. In a state of sin and misery. And sin is more than actions. It's more than just thoughts. It's, it's more than just saying, I'm just imperfect and flawed. To be lost in sin means you are a sinner by nature, not by behavior. You are a sinner by nature, not by behavior. That's lost in sin. And it's a condition in nature that you can't free yourself from. It's a condition of every single person in the world, regardless of who they are, or regardless of what kind of power they may have. You see, Adam and Eve, our first parents, when they rebelled against God, it changed everything. It brought sin into the world. And the fall actually happened. As believers, we know Genesis 3 is true. It happened. And the fall has fallen on all of us. And there are two ways that, that sin works itself out in our lives. One is self righteousness, and one is unrighteousness. And every, anybody you meet can fall, can go down either path, but both separate you from God. One looks better, but just as heinous. Both can. Immorality and morality both can separate you from God. Why? For all have sinned, Paul showed of his glory. Jesus himself says, those who are well have no need of a physician. If you are well, if you are good, you have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come to not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus gives his flesh for the life of sinful, broken people. Like me. Like you. And his flesh is the only source of life for such people. That's why he says in verse 53, 52, he says, 53, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Think about it. If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus' life is the only source of life. It's our only hope. This means a person is dead apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, you have no life in you. And this phrase, this these, this word no life is, is not a reference to physical life and well-being, but it refers to spiritual life or spiritual reality. There's no life in you spiritually apart from Christ. The crowd response here shows their spiritual condition. They they take Jesus' words literally. They thought Jesus wanted to become cannibals. Well, you gotta eat his flesh. Come on. What are you talking about, Jesus? Eat your flesh, drink your blood? They disputed among themselves. They did not understand the spiritual reality of what he's talking about. Why? Because they are lost. If you're talking to someone about these spiritual things about Christ that they don't understand, they can't understand because they're lost. Something that's dead cannot come to the gospel if something does not happen to them inside their heart. Spiritually dead beings cannot embrace the gospel apart from the work of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses. You see, being lost in our sin means a person is spiritually dead, dead to the things of God, can't even embrace God. A spiritually dead person is cut off from having any type of fellowship and communion with God, it separates us from Him. And how is this possible? Because you look around, you see a lot of good people. People who are spiritual, people who do good good things, people who are good southern folk. They wave at you. They're good people. So so how can you say they're spiritually dead if they look like they have spiritual life? People are sinners by nature, not by behavior. Either self-righteousness or unrighteousness. First John 1 says God is light and in him there is no darkness. Sin is darkness. And in order for someone to be in communion with God, something has to be done with that person's sin. Has to be. Something has to be done with it. Not our actions, but our nature. And there's only one source that rightly deals with your sinful Condition, And that is Jesus and him alone. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Strong words. A strong word picture that Jesus uses here. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. These words communicate the price he will pay for the sins of the world. Your sins. His body will be broken. And as we know this is what Easter season is all about. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. It's going to happen. For your life, he gives his life. He gives it freely as a substitute. A substitute. Your substitute. A sacrificial substitute to make atonement for your sin. That's what he's going to give away. All out of love. And he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Apart from Christ, you have death, but in Christ you are alive. There is life. You have eternal life. And to live in Christ means a person has to feed on his flesh and drink of his blood. And what in the world does that mean? It means you do this by faith. That's what he's talking about. You feed on him and drink of him by faith. There is one word I believe every parent never, really, never existed. And when you become a parent, you know what I'm talking about. There's one word that you wish never existed. I've, I've heard it a million, a million times over spring break. Kids who can't really talk yet, they know three words. Mommy, daddy, snack. Snack. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? All week, I've heard that word. Can I have a snack? Kids love snacks. they got to have it. And likewise, faith in Christ is the spiritual snack that you need to be saved. There's no other snack that you can munch on but Jesus. And faith in Jesus is to rest in to trust in him, to depend upon him. Like a infant, newborn infant, depends on its mother. That's what faith looks like in Christ. A newborn infant is dependent, can't do anything for herself. That is what faith in Christ is like. That type of dependency, that is faith. That is faith, resting in his hands. You are... And by faith, you are in union with Christ, in union with him. In verse 46, Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in, him, I in him. He's talking about union with him. And by faith, you will continue to abide in him. It's not going to change. You will continue to live with him. And to be in union with Christ means you are in fellowship with him, personally And relationally, the old theologian John Mary says, believers are called into fellowship of Christ. And fellowship means communion. The life of faith is one of living communion and union with the exhausted and ever-present Redeemer. It is directed toward him not merely as one who died, but one who rose again. and and whoever forever lives as our great high priest and advocate and because faith is directed to a living Savior and Lord fellowship reaches to its highest of its exercise there is no communion among men that is comparable with the fellowship of Christ he communes with his people and his people commune with him in a conscious reciprocal love in a conscious reciprocal love do you commune with Christ in a conscious, reciprocal love? Or do you just go through the motions? Or is it just a checklist? Or do you just know Sunday school stories about Jesus? Or do you know a lot of theology about Jesus, but don't know Jesus? Because you can miss him. Now listen, the people Jesus is talking to are cultural Jews. They grew up going to the synagogue. So they've heard all the Old Testament stories, They heard all the prophecies, heard it all, and yet the bread of life stands right before them and they can't see it. So don't look down on them, because we do the same. There are a lot of people in the South who are cultural Christians. They look like Christians. They talk like Christians. Dress like Christians. get manners, good morals, know the Bible, but it's Christless. Christ ain't in it. Cultural Christians is not Christian. Just because you look the part doesn't mean you are. Jesus is the only source of life. He is the only one who can deal with your sin. He does it by giving his life for your life. But do you believe it? Really believe it? Apart from Christ you are dead, in Christ you are alive, and by Christ you are saved. Saved from what? What does he save us from? Paul says, Paul tells the Ephesians, they are children of wrath. What does he mean by that? Sin puts people under God's wrath. Waiting for judgment. For God himself says the consequence for sin is death. And there is nothing you and I in our own power and effort can do to change that consequence. Because please understand, your sin, my sin, is a debt to God. A debt. And if you got credit card debt, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's a debt. And he demands full payment. Not monthly installments of good works. Not monthly installments of you doing good works. He demands full payment. And the payment he demands is the shedding of blood. That's the price to clear your debt. Blood, not good works. Blood, either yours in the last day or Jesus on the cross. Life or death stands before you. What do you choose? For the wages of sin is death. but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the only one who can save you from the wrath of God. That's why he says, my flesh is true flesh, true food. My blood is true drink. The bread of Christ on the cross fully satisfies the hunger of God's wrath. God's wrath eats it up on your behalf. Because of that, you are no longer under wrath. You are under grace. You are under favor. Jesus, the bread of life, makes you right God. Once an enemy, now adopted into God's family. That's grace. That's mercy. And thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for such grace. There are two steps that must be taken in order to save a, a drowning person, a person who is drowning. Both steps must be taken. First, you have to actually rescue the person in the water. You got to take them out of the water. And secondly, and equally important, you have to revive the person by performing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And this means you have to breathe into the person's mouth. You've got to get air past the water that's clogging up the breathing in the lungs. And so you have to rescue the person. You have to revive the person. Now, all of us here know people who are drowning in the ocean of their own sin. We do. Family members, co-workers, friends. They're drowning either through self-righteous living or unrighteous living. They are fighting for their life but losing their life. They even made their own lifeguards to try to rescue them. Trying to be a good person, trying to follow all the rules, trying to earn favor, self-righteousness. Or they go the other way, to unrighteousness, addictions, disruptive living. Regardless of what they're doing, they, they're trying to find life from these lifeguards to rescue their drowning soul. But they fail. These lifeguards can't rescue. They can't save them. They can't revive them. These lifeguards can't, can't get the, the sin out of their soul. Don't okay, care how much they breathe into your nostrils or breathe into your mouth, they can't get the water of sin out. They can't restore you. They can't give you life. There's only one lifeguard that can rescue and revive that is Jesus. He is the one that unclogs your, you, He is the one that unclogs the sin in your soul. Not just at the moment when you come to faith. But at this very moment, he is at work in your life, unclogging the sin that still remains. And he will continue that work until he returns. And that table, well, you think that this table is a reminder of that, right? That's, that's why we take communion to, as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us and will continue to do for us. So that means it's no matter how dark or how bad it is or what your addictions are, your struggles are, if you have faith in Christ, he is still in your corner. He is still working in your life. Because it's not about you. It's not what you do that saves you. It's what he done. It's what he did that saves you. The bread, the wine, his body broken, his blood shed for you and me. Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this means all the people who know him by saving faith are welcome to partake of this table with us. Now, if you don't know Christ and have not uh, made a professional faith in him, then we consider it an honor to have you here. But if you have questions about what it means to be saved, Question what it means to, to have faith in Christ. Please see me after the service, and we'll, and we'll talk about it. Now, adults, we ask the, the kids that are with you that you uh, withhold the elements for them before, until they made a profession of faith and be welcomed to the table by the church that you attend. Also, little kids, I say this every time we take communion. Watch what we do here, for this table is a reminder of what Christ did for you what he did on the cross for you. And it's the prayer of your elders and your deacons and your parents that one day each of you will be able to partake of this meal with us. And so before we have the elements, I ask that you spend a couple moments in silent meditation. And I'll ask the officers to come forward.